0: Listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. Before we take a look at our scripture today, I'd like to invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. And on our website, you'll find links to our bookstore, links to both of our podcasts, our blog, and a link where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. Each Tuesday, I send out a newsletter with a word of encouragement and some content to help you in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to receive that each week in your inbox, it's free. All you need to do is just sign up on the website, desirejesus.com. You'll see the newsletter tab. Just click it, and we'll be happy to add you to the email list. Now let's take a look at today's scripture. Over the past month or so, I guess now about a month and a half, we've been looking at the I am statements of Christ throughout the Gospel of John. And so we started this series, we've called it I am who I am, as the Lord's revealed to us that that's his name. And, uh, and so we're, we're learning to appreciate, uh, who Jesus is and what his, what he promises to do through the I am statements that he makes throughout the Gospel of John. And this morning, we're going to be looking at um, John chapter 11. And as we look at John chapter 11, there's a statement that Jesus makes there, an I am statement that's worth paying attention to, worth noticing, worth uh, us examining today. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's what Christ says in that passage. I am the resurrection and the life. And for some of you, this may be a familiar story, and for others, maybe this will be new. But if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 11. And I'm just going to read the portion from verse 17 down to verse 27. John chapter 11, starting with verse 17. This is what it states in that portion of God's Word. It says this, Now when Jesus came, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to read it together today and to think about these things that you've communicated to us in it. Lord, we know that when we look at statements like you made in this chapter of John's Gospel, as you were speaking uh, in this portion of Scripture, you were revealing more about your nature and more about your mission and more about what we find in you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would understand these truths, specifically the fact that you said that you are the resurrection and the life. We pray, Lord, that we would understand what that means A little bit more as we look at this portion of your word and that you'd help our walk with you to grow as a result So we thank you lord for the privilege to be able to take some time today to look at your word together And we commit this time to your care. We pray this all in jesus name amen as a child um, Some of my favorite people to spend time with and I actually spent a lot of time with them were my grandparents I had wonderful, wonderful grandparents on both sides of my family. They were very actively involved in my life. They went out of their way to do fun things with me, fun things with my sisters. We had a wonderful time with them. And one of the distinct memories that I have from my childhood related to my grandparents involves driving different places with them. And while we drove, uh, and I didn't think a whole lot about this at the time, it just was kind of what I had grown up with and so I was used to it, but while we were driving, my grandmother and my grandfather, they didn't turn the radio on typically, uh, usually my grandmother would entertain us with her singing. So she would sing. And she would invite us to sing along with her. And it was usually kind of goofy songs on purpose because she knew that that would entertain her grandchildren. And so we would do that. And I learned all sorts of classic songs that were kind of silly in nature that I thought were hilarious and my younger sisters thought were hilarious. And we would sing these and, and it was just, it made uh, the time pass quickly as we were driving different places with them. And then sometimes when we learned a new song, uh, we would attempt to teach it. To her, and uh, sometimes that was ridiculous, and I I don't know that um, I, you know I don't know that she always learned our songs as quickly as we as we learned her songs. But I I do have a very clear memory of uh, riding in their car one summer right after I had gone to camp for the very first time. And it's a Christian camp. It's a Christian camp that our our church supports uh, as one of our missions. It was the very first time I went there, and during the course of the week at summer camp. We were taught all sorts of songs and some songs were, were silly and other songs were, um, were very meaningful and, and taught deep theological truths. And I remember one particular song speaking about the fact that Christ was the resurrection and the life. And I remember singing this in the back of my grandparents. Car and Frank, you probably remember this too. Um, you know, we camped together as kids up there, and uh, and so you know we uh, we would sing that. I remember my sisters singing along with me, and I won't sing for you in this moment. But um, the chorus of the song said, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live a new life." And then the chorus went on to say, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die." And I remember singing that in the back of my grandparents' car, trying to teach them the songs that we learned at camp. It was a very catchy song, and uh, and through that song, I actually became acquainted with a very meaningful and deep theological truth that's referenced here in John chapter 11, what we're looking at today. Because in this portion of Scripture, when we get to verse 25, and we'll build up to this in just a few moments, but in that verse, Jesus said, as we just looked at a moment ago, He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So when he said that, what was he trying to convey? What was he getting at? And uh, and what was the context in which this truth was communicated? By the way, even before we answer that, I want to show you something. Please look at the screen behind me. I noticed this the other day. Those are football cleats, and right now you might be asking yourself, all right, why are you showing football cleats? But can you see from where you're seated what's on them? John 11:25. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I, I thought I'd show that because I thought it was interesting. I just I saw this online on Friday. that Those are the cleats of the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, uh, Carson Wentz. And this week, so the Eagles are playing tomorrow night. They're not playing today, but tomorrow night when he plays, that's what he's wearing. They get to wear whatever style cleat they want to wear. And I noticed this on Friday, and I thought, uh, for this week, they get to do it. I don't think they get to do it all the time. But for this week, they get to wear cleats that kind of represent something that means something to them. And I thought it was interesting when I saw this posted on Friday, I thought, wow, my favorite team and my favorite quarterback wearing cleats that reference the same scripture that I'm preaching from this week. I thought that that was too cool not to show you. So there you go. There's Carson Wentz, cleats, tomorrow night if you're watching Monday Night Football. Look at the field and uh, check it out and clap. And by the way, he's not the only one on the team wearing that style on his cleats. I, I noticed, uh, it's a, I think his uh, last name is pronounced Ortega Whiteside, is also wearing John 11, uh, 25 on his cleats tomorrow night. So two players on the Eagles are referencing the fact that Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. Can I not love this team anymore? Through highs, through lows uncommitted or un sorry committed <laughs> undeterred undeterred I meant to say that the right way maybe my heart betrayed me I don't know <laughs> just the same what was the context in which Jesus spoke about the fact that he was the resurrection and the life well let me reread the, a, a few verses for us here verse 17 down to verse 19 but here you see the fact that Jesus comes to us in the midst of our grief. Look at what it says in that portion of Scripture. It says, Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, in Scripture, there are several people that we can see that Jesus had rather deep friendships with. And three of those people were siblings mentioned in this passage, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And I get the impression that those siblings were very tight with each other. They were very close to each other. And I also get the impression that they had rather distinct but pleasant personalities when you look at what Scripture tells us about them. And when you look at some of the details, and I'm kind of summarizing some of the surrounding scriptures just to give you a picture of what these three individuals were like, but Mary tended to be someone who could live in the moment, right? She could live in the moment without getting overly stressed about what was coming next. That seemed to be Mary's personality. She could live in the moment, didn't tend to get overly stressed about what was coming next. Martha, on the other hand, uh, was the type of person who was very task-focused, and very responsible, but sometimes forgot to enjoy what was right in front of her. And Lazarus, we're not told a whole ton about his personality, but based on a few of the actions that are recorded uh, that, that he takes in, in the Gospels, and also based on um, the accusations that, that some of the elite brought against Lazarus, I get the impression that Lazarus was someone who was not shy about associating with Jesus. And he wasn't shy about openly expressing his friendship with the Lord. Jesus truly appreciated this family, and this family truly appreciated Jesus. They were tight. They were close. They were friends. And as the events of this portion of Scripture unfold, we're told that Lazarus had died. When you read the totality of John chapter 11, we see that Lazarus had died. And the Scripture reveals to us that he was in the tomb for four days, at this point 4 days and i believe that john tells us these details in part to make it abundantly clear that this crowd of people that's meeting now with mary and with martha they're they're gathering together with them they're grieving with them but they also would have been quite accepting of the of the fact that lazarus was not only dead but was also now in the process of decomposition it wasn't just freshly dead this you know day 4 all right day 4 this is like he's dead dead Right. And, um, and that's not typically the type of environment that I imagine that many of us would necessarily prefer to place ourselves in. But that's precisely the context, the events that Jesus was entering into as the events of this passage unfold here. He came to visit his grieving friends. He came to share in their grief. Now sometimes it can be very difficult to know what to do when you're in a context with people who are grieving. A friend of mine the other day just told me um that a, a friend or that excuse me a family member of his just passed away the night before and uh, we were talking and and uh, obviously, I've been praying for them throughout the course of the week. But it's difficult sometimes when you're in the midst of those circumstances to feel like you always know what to say, or you kind of want to make it a little bit better. But sometimes you you wonder, you know, what what exactly do do I do? I remember when I was 21 years old, I started pastoring my first church. I was fresh out of college. I started. I, I finished college in May. I started pastoring my first church on June 1st. And I remember soon after I started pastoring my first church, I got a call that a woman in the church had passed away. And uh, someone in the church said, you know, Pastor, would you be willing to go over to the house and meet with the family? And I said, sure. And so immediately I, I ran over there. And I got there quicker than, um, you know, I mean, the family was there. The woman who had passed away was there. And uh, they were still waiting for, um, you know, other medical help and stuff like that to show up and kind of do what needed to be done there. Uh, but I remember walking into that context and thinking to myself, I don't know what to say. And I don't know what to do that's going to somehow magically make this all better. And I walked in and my mind was going like, like just, you know, was just swirling and swirling thinking, I really feel like I I have no idea how to, I I don't know how to fix this. This is a trauma. I've never, I've never seen something like this happen or, or had people call on me to be a person in the moment who's supposed to you know, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to offer comfort? Am I, like, wh- how, how do I do this? And I remember I came into the house and the family was sitting around the dining room table and the woman who'd passed away was in a chair still in the other room. And I walked and I, I sat down with them at the dining room table and it was complete silence. Complete silence. And they were just sitting there. Some of them had their heads on their hands and they were just sitting there. It was a total shock. And so I thought at first, you know, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to sit with the family. Let's just sit together so we just sat in silence for a little bit. And then, as the Lord prompted my heart, uh, I asked them a couple quick questions, but then I invited them to just join me in a time of prayer. Just join together and pray. And we prayed together in that context. And I'll tell you what, it's moments like that where sometimes all the other distractions and all the other things that we tend to care about in life get swept away, you start to realize what's important. i I got to tell you, in that moment, we could clearly sense that that Christ and His comforting presence was with us. You know, we just prayed to the Lord. We just lifted up our hearts to the Lord in the midst of our shock, in the midst of our grief. We could tell that He was right there meeting with us in that grief. And our hearts were comforted. It was very helpful to us I bring that up because when you look at this portion of Scripture, isn't that what Jesus is showing us in part that He delights to do? He doesn't run away from our painful and messy moments. He doesn't abandon us in our pain. He doesn't abandon us in our grief. When you're grieving, there will be times in your life, many times in your life, where that's going to be the case. Don't hesitate to reach out to Him. I think you'll probably be surprised to discover He's already present with you, just like He promised to be. And here in this context, you see Jesus making a point to be with His good friends, Martha and Mary, at an at a on-purpose time. His timing is very intentional here, but He comes to them in the midst of their grief. And so He's setting up what He's about to teach on a deeper level, but this is how He's setting this up. Then the Scripture goes on to show us a little bit about Martha's reaction in particular. And I want you to notice something as we get into Martha's reaction in just a moment. But one of the things I'll point out to you, and I I think you'll see this here in this passage too, is that Jesus is not surprised when we question His methods. That doesn't shock Him. It doesn't surprise Him. And we've probably all done it. But look at what it says in verse 20, down to verse 22. It says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met Him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever You ask from God, God will give You. Anyone here have a dog? All right. Quite a few people. All right, your dog ever run away on you? Yeah, got away, <laughs> it snuck out. Uh, a while back, this is a little over a year ago, um, my neighbor's dog just decided he, he was going to make a run for it. <laughs> and he ran, and he was going all throughout the neighborhood. And I remember I was mowing the front, my front lawn at the time this is happening. And I'd see the neighbor's dog zip by. And then I'd see several members of my neighbor's family zip by trying to catch him. Right? And I'm just mowing, going up and down my front hill there, and it's like, zoom. (laughs) And then a group of people chasing him, and then the dog had come back the other way. And this was going on for a while. I was like, man, that dog is fast. And I thought, also thought to myself, I'm not so sure that chasing him like that is going to accomplish anything because that dog is having the best day of its life. And I'm watching, it's like, look at them run! You know, you can just tell what the dog's saying. Freedom! I have no idea where to go. I just want to run! And uh and I thought, all right, you know, I'm afraid of the dog getting hurt. You know, the part of our neighborhood where we live is not very trafficky, but if you go just a block up, you're on Maple Avenue, and so that is kind of trafficy. And I thought I thought, well, how how do I help them? It's not gonna help if I just jump into the crowd and start running after this creature. And so I thought, all right, if the dog gets anywhere near me, this was my plan. I'm just gonna sit down or lay down. I'm just gonna sit down, lay down, see what happens. And uh so as the dog was running around and then finally uh, it, it got close by and I let go of the mower so the mower shuts off and I just sat down on the grass and then the dog came right up to me to investigate what was going on and I was like hey buddy and I was petting him behind the ears and casually grabbed onto his collar and I was like hey how you doing and then you could see the dog's face like all right time to go I'm caught <laughs> party's over John caught me and my neighbors out of breath come running down and I meet them with their dog and I hand off the dog. And I think that they were surprised because they could see what had just happened. And it was kind of like, huh, so if you stop chasing the dog, you know, this method kind of like threw them off a little bit here. And I, I, I bring that up because when you look at this portion of scripture, it kind of shows us that sometimes the very thing that needs to be done doesn't seem like the right solution, right? So like in that context, you're like, how do you catch a dog? Well, run after and catch it. Well, guess what? The dog's going to outrun you. So you got to Play a little psychology and here in the context you have martha saying lord if you had been here my brother would not have died and here you have jesus showing something he's showing that he's not surprised when you question his methods but his method even if it seems a little unorthodox is right now prior to lazarus dying you have jesus as you go through the gospels you see that he healed some very sick people you see him restoring sight to the blind And this reputation, by the way, is spreading far and wide as he's doing these things. He restored sight to the blind. He cleansed the skin of the leprous. And he even raised the dead to life. And while Lazarus was dying, I'm sure that Mary and Martha uh, wished that Jesus was with them. But he was miles away, and at the time, he probably seemed completely inaccessible to them. And here you have, when he finally arrives, you have Martha stating what she's been thinking all along. And I don't know if maybe there's a little edge to her voice as she's saying this, a little frustration, a little what-if type of scenario. But she says in this portion of Scripture, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Basically kind of like, why weren't you here? That's what I'm hearing anyway when I read that portion of Scripture you could have you could have done something about this lord if you had been here my brother would not have died and again as i read these words it sounds to me like part of what she's saying is that she's questioning christ's methods or at least his timing or at least his approach she seems like she's questioning something like why did you choose this you chose to not be here but if you if you had been here i know it i know he wouldn't have died if you had been here you could have done something about what he was dealing with and uh, you know when i look at that I think that's a very real moment that's portrayed for us here in the Scriptures because if I'm honest, uh, there are quite a few times in my life where I have questioned what Christ is doing as well. And I would suspect, and I won't ask us all to confess this, I'll just confess on our behalf, but I would suspect that we've all probably done that at one time or another. We've all probably questioned, Lord, why would you do it this way, or why would you do this in this timing, or why do you even delay in returning? Why don't you just come back today? What are you waiting for at this point? Just come back. You know, I think we all do this. We question this. I don't think. I don't think Jesus is shocked though when we do that. I don't think that surprises him in the least. And imagine, or in a, I imagine that that in in. in some ways, you know what I, what I picture him doing here is using this as part of his strategy to stretch our faith. I think that he loves to stretch your faith and stretch my faith in such a way that it starts to grow strong over time as it's been stretched and as it's been worked out. And what he does is as he stretches our faith, he shows us time and time again that he could be trusted to do everything he promised he would do. But he usually waits just long enough to let you grow in the process and to make you a stronger believer in Him. He does the double benefit of answering the prayer and making you strong in His time, in His way. And I point this out because it's quite possible that during many seasons of your life, maybe even during this season right now, there may be a few things going on that seem either jarring or scary or stretching. Maybe you're going through something like that right now at this moment. You maybe, maybe even ask the Lord to clarify what He's up to by allowing some of these things to take place. Lord, what are you up to? Why are you allowing this to happen? You know, or why is this specifically happening to me? You know, did I do something to offend you? Am I irritating you somehow, Lord? You know, do you ever wonder things like that? You know, Lord, have I sinned against you in a way that I'm not aware of and you're now punishing me or something like that? I don't think the Lord is surprised when we question His methods. And that's just what Martha, at least as I'm reading this, to me, at at, at part, she still loved the Lord, but I, I feel like she's questioning Him a little bit here. That's what she seems to be doing. But He does want us to trust Him, even when we can't see ahead of time how He's going to work everything out. He will work everything out. We may not see it ahead of time, but He does want us to learn to trust Him. And you know how I find He's helping me to learn to trust Him more and more? By, over time, stretching me a little bit at a time. In this experience and in that experience, because I can tell you, in my 40s, I do trust Him more than I did in my teens and in my 20s and in my 30s. And I hope that 10 years from now, in my 50s, that I'm able to say, yeah, I, can, I trust the Lord more than I did in my 40s. And I suspect that that'll be the case because I'll have more of a life story that I've lived to get me to that point. and More difficult seasons and moments of grief and things that stretched me that reminded me, you know what? Sometimes I question the Lord's methods. And then over time, what do I start to see? He works it all out. In His time and in His way. And I can trust Him because He does His thing. And you know what? Sometimes we don't, don't always get to see everything resolved in a tidy way during our lifetime. But the long stretch of history tells me, and as we look at that, how the Bible itself concludes, we see that the Lord's working all things together for His glory and for the good of His people. Something else that now Jesus, as He's been, as this scripture's been going along, it's been building up to the things that we see in verses twenty-three to twenty-six. But here it shows us that Jesus is the source of true life. Let me let me reread the response Jesus gives to Martha. It says in verse 23, Jesus said to her, "Your brother will rise again." Martha said to him, "I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day." Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? So after Martha makes her comments here, you have Jesus explaining a few things to her that probably did not sink in immediately. And sometimes when, when we hear profound things stated and sometimes even when we read profound things in Scripture, it doesn't always sink in immediately. But here He starts off by telling her that her brother would rise Again, and if you look closely at what she said as she responds to this thought as Jesus is saying, "Look, your brother 's going to rise again," she seems to give a theologically accurate response that simultaneously showed how much she struggled to live in the moment this is another one of those examples where it shows she struggles to live in the moment she 's thinking about you know well instead of instead of allowing herself to believe that that right there in the present that, that jesus might raise Lazarus from the grave right now in mere moments, she answers Christ by giving a statement of her theological confidence in the fact that there will be a future resurrection. Now what she says is theologically accurate. But she's failing to notice what Christ is trying to uh, display to her and teach to her in that moment. So when Jesus responded to her answer here, I believe he was attempting to try and, uh, and help open her eyes to see what was right in front of her. She was speaking of resurrection as if it's this impersonal concept. But Christ, in this moment here, he's about to show her something new about himself that she was apparently missing. Jesus said to her, and I'll reread his words again, but he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So in that moment, what do we have Jesus doing? We have Jesus making the concept of resurrection very personal. Makes it very personal. He didn't just say, I can raise the dead. Now, that would be true if He said it that way, but He didn't leave it at that. He didn't just say, I can raise the dead. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. What's Jesus saying there to us? Not just to Martha, but to us. What's He saying? Jesus is life. Jesus is the source of life. Apart from Jesus, we remain spiritually dead and doomed to physically die. But in Christ... We find life. And that's not just eventual life. Because the way Martha was responding to Him, it was almost as if she was thinking about the kind of life that Christ supplies as eventual life. But that's not it. It's not just eventual life. It's eternal life that begins the instant we believe in Him. It's not just a future thing, it's also now. The instant we believe in Jesus Christ, our eternal life begins. Our relationship with him begins. Let me uh, take the risk to say something that that I think I think I can say it lovingly, but I also think I can say this in a way to intentionally provoke us. So, wh- what do I mean by that? Well, I'm amazed at how many people are convinced that a good life can be found outside of Christ and i'll say this very clearly i don't believe it can i don't believe a good life can be found outside of christ i don't believe that you or i will find a good life outside of him because a life being lived apart from christ is missing the key component to joy and to hope and to purpose and this is this is the i guess intentionally provoking type statement that i want to make but I'm often amazed at how many professing Christians who spend their lives chasing after the things of this world with such a fervor, um, that, that basically, you know, as, as I'm observing this, it seems like many of my brothers and sisters in Christ are convinced that they will find the source of joy or the source of life in the things of this world instead of Christ. And so, so many, so many of us, and I have to confess I've done this too, we find ourselves chasing after temporary things that really have no eternal value. We think that somehow it's going to bring meaning to our life or value to our life, and yet it's devoid of Christ, and yet, yet we're convinced that somehow it's going to work even though it won't work. Christ is the source of life. Christ is the source of true life. Um, I want to make a book recommendation to you. I don't do this too often. But I recently started reading this book. I don't know if you're familiar with this book. Uh, but it's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's written by a pastor. His name is Peter Cesaro. And uh, I want to read to you something he actually says relatively early in the book. I was reading this this week. and I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to paraphrase what he says. I'm just going to read it. And I'm going to encourage you at some point, check this book out. I think it's worth reading. But he says this. And I'd be curious to hear what you think about it if you think these statements are true. He says, It is so easy to compartmentalize God, relegating Him to Christian activities around church and our spiritual disciplines without thinking of Him in the way we navigate our marriages, discipline our children, spend our money, enjoy our recreation, or even study for exams. Then he says this. He says, According to Gallup Polls, And sociologists, one of the greatest scandals of our day is that evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self centered, and sexually immoral as the world in general. And he says the statistics are devastating. You have the stomach to hear the statistics? I read through this three different times because I thought, please tell me this isn't true. But this is what he says the statistics say. He says, Church members divorce their spouses as often as their secular neighbors. Church members beat their wives as often as their neighbors. Church members' giving patterns indicate they are almost as materialistic as non-Christians. White evangelicals are the most likely people to object to neighbors of another race of the higher commitment evangelicals a rapidly growing number of young people think cohabitation is acceptable prior to marriage you think about those statements i read that and i thought i hope that's not true but according to some of the polls that he was basing that off of it looks like it might be which tells me that we need to come back to the things that christ is saying here in this portion of scripture humbly, with repentant and contrite hearts, and say, Lord, if this is something in my life, then I guess apparently I'm convinced that I will find life outside of You. And yet when I look at what You say in Your Word, You're telling me that You're the resurrection. You're the life. You're the source of true life. So here you have Jesus making it clear that those who believe in Him will find the kind of life that they truly need. And that anyone who believes in Him will never truly die. That all aspects of the effect of sin's curse will eventually be reversed in their lives. But I think our hearts and our minds need to be convinced that Jesus is the source of true life. Otherwise, we're going to chase after everything that this world keeps saying. Hey, this will work. This will work. This will work. Everyone you know, including some of your Christian friends, is doing this. So try this. Try this. And what happens? Devastation. Long-term pain. There is no joy in spending your life running from Christ. And eventually you get to the end and regret all the time you wasted. And so as Jesus was making this clear to Martha, He asked her, Do you believe this? And I wonder what our response would be if Jesus asked us that same question in the same way. Do we, as people, many of which in this room are professing believers in Jesus Christ, do we actually believe that Jesus is life? And if so, how high is He on our list of priorities? Or how devoted would our children or our closest friends say that we are in pursuing our relationship with Him? Is Jesus a compartmentalized part of our life, or have we come to the, to the spot where we're saying, Lord, You are true life. There's one final quick thing I want to point out from this portion of Scripture, and it's worth noting. And that's this. In verse 27 of John 11, I think it illustrates the fact that Jesus is the one that the Scriptures have been pointing to. In verse 27 it says this, She said to Him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So again, you have Martha. She gave her response to Jesus. She expressed her belief that He is indeed the Son of God. And moments later, what ends up happening, if you continue reading this portion of Scripture, Jesus proved to her that everything He said was true when He raised her brother Lazarus from death. You see that as the Scripture goes on. But as Martha expressed her faith that Jesus was the long-promised Messiah, I think when we look at her statement there, we can also be reminded by her statement that Jesus is indeed the one that the Scriptures have been pointing to. Because in essence, isn't that what she's saying here? You know, He is the fulfillment of centuries of promises. He is the key to understanding the plan of God for creation. He is the key to understanding the plan of God for redemption. Just like He's the key to understanding the Scriptures, He's also the key to making sense of our lives right now. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And He meant those words. And He delights to grace us with the power of His resurrection and the continual joy of His presence. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for your words and for the things that that you conveyed in this portion of scriptures we can see that Martha and Mary and many of their friends and and uh and neighbors were really wrestling with grief and sorrow surrounding the death of Lazarus and we're grateful Lord even though we didn't didn't get to the portion of John 11 where you did so but we're grateful that as we as we continue reading that chapter on our own we see that you raised Lazarus from death. You give us a foretaste. You give us a picture of what you have done for us spiritually and what you'll even do for us physically. Or do you tell us that these are things that, that you are the one who facilitates. You're the one who does this. You You accomplish this in our lives, and you tell us that you are the resurrection and the life. You're the source of true life. You're the source of true life right now in the present. You're the source of true life in the future. So Lord, we come before You, we ask Your your forgiveness for the fact that we have tried to find true life in lesser things, that somehow we've bought into the lie that the things of this world can adequately take Your place, and we let ourselves be lied to by them, and we lie to ourselves. And then somehow, sometimes that's the, the testimony we're giving to our brothers and sisters, and that's the testimony that we're giving to an unbelieving world. And then we sit back and scratch our heads and wonder why people struggle to believe you're even real. But Lord, you tell us in your word that we're your ambassadors, and we're here for a, for, a few short decades. And then we come before you and we give a full account for our lives. Lord, we recognize we are not perfect. You are perfect, but we also know that Your power is sufficient for us. And so, Lord, we pray that we'd stop making excuses for going our own way, but that we would recognize that our hearts will always be upset or trying to look for something else if we keep convincing ourselves that we'll find peace in anything less than You. You are the source of life. And so, Lord, we pray that today would be a day that You remind us of that truth in a very fresh way. And that we would take joy in the fact that You've offered Yourself to us. And Lord, You know that at times we question You. We wonder what You're up to. We are puzzled by the things that You're doing at times. And and You're patient with us because we don't start as spiritual giants. We start as spiritual infants. And over time, our our faith grows as You test us and and as as You develop us and as You stretch us in healthy ways because You love us. So Lord, help us not to fight against You in that process. We pray that our faith in You would grow and that we would walk with You faithfully every day and that more and more, that tomorrow we'd be more convinced of the fact that You are our sufficiency than we are today. We pray that a week from now, our faith in You would be deeper than it is today. But Lord, we know we could either run from You or we can embrace You. And we pray that today would be a day that our hearts would be reminded again to embrace You. Lord Jesus, we love You. We're grateful for Your love for us. We're grateful that even if we were to continue to reading through John chapter 11, we would read an example of You weeping with those who weep. So Lord, we're grateful that You share our grief. And that as You look at us in the midst of the things that really trouble us and cause us pain, that it doesn't fall on deaf ears, that You see that and it does matter to You. You even respond emotionally. Lord, it's amazing to think about these things because it's so easy to just put you in a category where we think of you as just aloof and distant, but that is not how you operate in our lives. You are our good shepherd. You care for your sheep, and we thank you, Lord, for the good care that you give to us. So by your grace, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to walk with you today, help us to rely on your strength. Thank you for forgiving us of our sin, and thank you for strengthening us in you and granting us new life in you. Eternal life that begins the moment we come to faith. We're grateful for this all. We're grateful for Your love and for Your embrace of us, knowing that we're not perfect yet, but there'll be a day You make us perfect. So thank You, Lord, for the fact that You cleanse us and clean us up and and that there is no condemnation in You. For those who trust in You, Lord, we're just grateful that You make that so. We're grateful for these reminders today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. And if you're not on our newsletter list, be sure to click the link to sign up right there on the front page of the website. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care.